0: That video but it froze, and that 's probably a good thing, because that is not the truth about men, and so I like to throw that thing up there sometimes when i 'm speaking to a group of men, because that is the stereotype of men. Mae West the once said, "The more I know about men, the more I like dogs. And I kind of understand that when you uh, look at the wrong view of what men are. We like to drink and scratch and cuss and not worry much about changing us. So what we want to do this morning is talk about what men are. Because there's a great little verse in scripture, it's one of my favorite ones. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, it says, stand firm in the faith, be on the alert, act like men, be strong, let everything you do in love. But there's a verse right there that says, act like men, which is uh, uh, something that most of us would like to do, except we don't really know what it means to act like a man. And so what we want to do this morning is give ourselves a definition of what a man is. There's There's an old saying by a guy who lived a long time ago a Roman philosopher Seneca who just said if you don't know what harbor you're going to then you won't know what wind to catch to take you there when, uh, one guy said uh, in order to hit the target shoot first and whatever you hit call it the target and that's what a lot of guys do in terms of uh, trying to grow young men we don't really tell our boys this is what it means to be a man so uh, I've got the stewardship over three men likewise three women Uh, that God has asked me to participate with his spirit in raising them up to either be a godly woman or to be a godly man. And so early on I thought I better figure out what that is. And if I want my boys to act like a man, I've got to figure out what that definition is. And so just spent some time in scripture. I I gave myself a little monomic, a little, um, I just chose to use S's to give myself five things and my boys five things that describe what a man is. Uh, my little girls five things that describe what a woman is we will give you a copy of that when you walk out today and I encourage you to use that as a model to come up with your own I mean if you want feel free to use it but I think what makes things great is when you tweak it and massage it and can make it your own but I will share with you this morning what I think a biblical definition of a man is now let me just say this going in Uh, I I, uh, I think the reason our country is in trouble today. The reason the church is in trouble today is because man is in trouble today. The greatest crisis in our country is a crisis of leadership. And there's a leadership problem in the church, which leads to a leadership problem in the people. And the reason there's a leadership problem in the church is because there's a leadership problem with men. Too often we are led by weak men, or we're led by strong men that don't lead us well. we got men that are passive, and we got men that are lazy and need leaders that are constantly going to remind us of what makes us great. Most guys grew up being a part of some team where they were constantly evaluated and encouraged. They knew what the goal was and they were going to work together in unison to try and move that ball down the field, cross the line and score. And whenever you would do something successful, folks would come around you and encourage you and say, "Way to go. That's what a that's what a man does or a linebacker or a lineman or a quarterback does." That's what a good point guard does, and you get lots of affirmation. And so you work hard, you discipline yourself, you know what you're doing. And what happens is when you get through uh, certain stages of life, you no longer have men that are coming alongside of you and saying, way to go, you are moving the ball down the field. The way you did look at porn, that's what a man does. The way you uh, disciplined yourself for the purpose of godliness, that you had filled your heart with God's truth, so that you might know what to say in that moment, that's what a man does. We stop encouraging each other as part of a team. And so men lose heart and they lose that sense of camaraderie. And so what I hope happens as a result of this time today and the way that we run together as men here in Dallas is that we become part of a team again where we see each other do stuff well, love our wives, raise our kids, uh, live for integrity in the workplace, uh, don't don't become caught up in the culture of Dallas and materialism or what makes men great in Dallas's eyes, that we go, way to go, I saw that choice you made. I saw the, the, the principles that you live by. That's what men do. Way to go. In fact, uh, a great little book to kind of put on your reading list is called uh, Seasons of Life. It's the story of Joe Ehrman. And Joe Ehrman was an all-pro um, lineman for Baltimore back in the day. Ehrman now coaches high school kids uh, up in the Baltimore, Maryland area. And, uh, and he talks about how the problem with men today is that they are um, being told that what makes a man essentially great is not the things that we're going to talk about today but he said these three things what makes a man great in the world's eyes is financial success athletic dominance and sexual conquest and if you're not financially successful athletically dominant or sexually conquering others then you're not a man And people think the truth about men, real men, is they are rich, they are uh, strong in their flesh, and they indulge their flesh whenever they can because they got money and they are impressive. And that, my friends, is why women like dogs more than men. It doesn't make you great essentially that way. In fact, the scripture says a land will be under judgment when it is led by weak, passive Inmature men. Let me just show you this going in. Let me show you what's at stake and why it says in 1 Corinthians 16 that we are to be on the alert and to stand firm in the faith and to act like real men. In Isaiah, in chapter 3, in verse 9, this is what it says. It says, I will, and this is a form of judgment, when people stop pursuing the things that God said they should pursue when they don't know what the definition of greatness is, it says that I will make mere lads okay their princess and it says um i will make mere lads their princesses and capricious children will rule over them in other words you're not going to be led by men uh, ecclesiastes chapter 10 verses 16 to 17 says this uh woe to you o land whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning in other words they wake up and the very first thing they think about is themselves that's what kids do and then verse 17 but blessed are you o land whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time, for strength and not for drunkenness. In other words, men fill their heart with good things so that that might be strong and lead well. So what is a man? Okay, uh, What is this thing that we are to act like? I'm going to give you five S's. And we've got to dive in because we've got some young men that have to get off the school. So here we go. Number one, the first thing a man does is he steps up. In other words and I'll give all this to you as you walk out so you can just focus and listen if you want. What a man will do is he will lead. He will initiate. He will be a man of action. He will reject passivity. He will assume it is his job and his moment and not look around to wonder when underdog is going to come in to save the day. He goes, I am the man for this moment. Now, uh, the key text for this in me is, is in Ezekiel chapter 22. It's talking about why the nation of Israel... Uh, was in effect going to go down and it was because they were not led by men in fact he goes really right to the leadership which is where uh, responsibility always lies and he starts with prophets prophets are men who are to declare people who are to, supposed to represent truth and they're not representing truth he goes to priests priests are people that are supposed to remind what was declared about truth but the priests aren't reminding people And then it goes to princesses. Princes are people that are supposed to model what truth looks like when you lead well. But the princes were feasting in the morning and they were consuming themselves uh, with their own comfort and desires. The prophets weren't declaring truth. They were giving messages that they thought would be embraced by the people. And the priests were not reminding folks of what the truth was or rebuking the prophets for not speaking the truth. And as a result, the people lived in chaos. And God went right after the leadership before he got to the people. But this is what he says down there in verse 30. He says that I looked, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. There wasn't a man who stepped up. Instead, all he did is he uh, bemoaned the fact that there wasn't a good uh, person in the White House, that Congress was a mess, that the church... Is irrelevant. And all those things may be true. But at the end of the day, God's looking for a man. He doesn't need a person of high esteem and of great office. He doesn't need a guy who uh, is, is a great athletic figure. He doesn't need a guy who's got all kinds of cash. He's looking for a faithful man. In fact, know this. In second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, even today. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth that he might strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. It doesn't say those who are well-funded. It doesn't say those who have already got some name in the culture. It just says God's looking to strongly support the man that just says, I want to live for you. One of the uh, great moments in a guy named D.L. Moody's life. D.L. Moody was one of the men that God used to really bring about a revival uh, in our country at one point, and frankly all over the world, is he was having a passing conversation with uh, a gentleman in England. And that, England, that man in England just said this, Moody, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man whose heart is completely yielded to him. And it struck Moody, and instead of looking around at all the weakness that was around him in a position similar to his, and uh, the corruption that was even in the... Uh, the highest positions of government is they. Moody at that moment said, I want to be that man who increasingly gives his heart to the Lord, and let's see what God can do with him. And so, this young boy that um, really was led to Christ by uh, a little Sunday school teacher, a little young man walking up in the streets of New England, became a force around the world because he purposed to let the world see what God might do with a man who just says, here I am, Lord, use me. Now what's really interesting is all of us think, well, God can't use me. But if you go back and look at Scripture again and again, um, you got guys like Moses who said, God, you can't use me. Good am I. I'm not fluent of speech. I'm a man given to fits of passion. As you guys know, Moses had an issue of anger that had him run away in fear. Lived for 40 years basically in isolation in the wilderness, just surrendering himself to a life of, uh, of no basic um, you know, uh, contribution to his culture. He ran from it. And God said, I'm going to choose you, Moses, because I think when I reveal to you who I am, if you'll respond to that, we can do something great together. You can look at uh, King Hezekiah. You can look at Gideon, who uh, said, Man, I'm the least of men in the least of my father's house in the least of the tribes of Israel. And yet God said, Gideon, if you'll just let me use you, I'll use you. You look at uh, David. When God used a great man, he didn't. Jesse thought David was so irrelevant when uh, he had word that that his family had been, in effect, chosen that God was going to use somebody from his family to do something great. David wasn't even brought in to the uh, lineup. Uh, I, I love what Johnny Erickson uh, Tata said. Johnny Erickson Tata is a young gal that was um, swimming up the East Coast and dove basically into a wave, and she snapped her neck as a young high school girl, and has been a quadriplegic. Uh, really, her entire adult life. And when um, Gorbachev um, and uh, the forces of just what was going on in the world at the time and God's sovereignty and communism fell after 70 years of oppression and atheism and uh, the philosophy of man ruling and oppressing an entire people, an entire country, Johnny Erickson Tata, Billy Graham, and a translator from Russia who was blind were the very first people to speak publicly and forcefully about the gospel after 70 years of silence mostly because they were willing to do it and when they asked Johnny when she got back about that experience she said let me just tell you something it shouldn't surprise us that after 70 years of oppression and silence that when God's ready to bring hope to a people he chooses an old man with Parkinson's disease a blind man and a woman who's a quadriplegic to do it he didn't send over their gold medal athletes and rich businessmen he looked for individuals whose hearts were completely his and that's what God's looking for today somebody will step up and reject passivity and and not wait for somebody else but they will be men of action guys that will lead and initiate and say Lord I don't know what you can do with me but everything I've got I'm giving to you now the scripture says that there's lots of guys who give lots of talk Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, says that many a man proclaims his faithfulness, but who can find a trustworthy man? In other words, there's lots of guys that will say, I want to be a man, but then they will not execute on their words. This is what makes a man ultimately great in God's eyes. Not a man that can speak well, but a man that will execute. Um, James chapter 1, verses 22 and following. Uh, talk about this. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Hey, let us not just be merely uh, hearers of the word who delude themselves, but let us be doers of the word. Look what it says right here. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he's looked in the mirror and seen himself, he's gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. In other words, this is typical of men. See, when women go to a mirror, you guys notice, they take a tackle box with them. Right, they know there's trouble there on that other side, and they want to deal with it. And so they've got an entire, you know, uh, suitcase there to help them. Guys aren't like that. You need know, kind of look in the mirror. You burp, and you do scratch. You kind of go, Ugh. you know, throw the hair to one side and you move on. And you just kind of go, well, the world's got to deal with that today. What it says right here. A lot of times when you see the word man in the Bible, okay, it's talking about Homo sapient, meaning uh, humankind. Here, the word is male. Where James says, don't be like a male looking in the mirror. you got to be like somebody, like a woman. When you see what's in the mirror, you deal with it and you respond to it. We don't have enough guys looking in the mirror of God's word to see who we are, but what James's point is, we have even fewer guys who look in the mirror of God's word and are corrected by it, and who go to work after it. Men who step up and say, okay, I see the issue in my life. You know, because uh, Tolstoy is the guy that said everybody looks around and wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves. You know, we want to change the world, guys. is the very first thing we need to do. We need to, we need to bring a revival into the world, and it starts with this. You need to get down on your knees. You need to draw a little circle around yourself and change everything inside that circle. And just say, Lord, right here is the issue. And... Um, as I declare truth to myself by studying the word, as I remind myself of truth by meditating on it, as I put myself around other noble and godly men who will run with me, let's see what you'll do with me. And Lord, here I am. Here I am. You see, the issue with men is that other men are wondering when other men are going to get up and lead. And what I want to share with you is it's your privilege. God's eyes are looking out over this room today, not for the athletically dominant, not for the financially successful, And certainly not for those who live to indulge their flesh. And say, who can I strongly support? Who's the one whose heart is completely mine? Who's going to step up? You see, I love this because in every one of these, Jesus is our ultimate example. When the world was filled with sin and there wasn't a righteous man there that God could work with. Just like he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because he couldn't find one. He needed to destroy this world because there wasn't one. And so who stepped up? God stepped up. And he went right into it. And he said, I'm going to show you what a man is. A man is like a shepherd. He's not a butcher who drives people to slaughter. A man is a shepherd who goes and develops a relationship with the sheep. And the sheep learn his voice. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. A hired hand doesn't give his life for the sheep. But when you're a shepherd, you give your life for the sheep. You do whatever you can. You give all you got. And you step up. And you lead your people. See, children don't do that. They run when it gets tough. Great men do it. And God isn't looking for physically great men. He's looking for men that are spiritual. Step up, lead, initiate, be a man of action. Assume it is your job, your moment. Hate apathy, reject passivity. The old joke is that there was a teacher who wrote on the board and just put up there, you know, the word apathy and said, Am I know what that means? And some kid goes, I don't know, and I don't care, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I will tell you, I, one of the things I see a lot among men, especially young men, is apathy. And probably the reason they're apathetic is because they go, well, the goal is just to get as rich as I can and be as physically impressive as I can so I can get what I want when I want it because that's the men that are celebrating this culture. And some of them are discouraged because they don't know the road to get there, and so they just quit and they're takers, and um, it's killing us, but I want to tell you, reject apathy, be a man of action, number two, all right, men speak out, men speak out, I'll give you a number of different things about this, um, that I'll say, because there's different areas that we learn to speak out, but men understand that they've got to be courageous, And one of the ways to lead is not just by example, that's the stepping up part, but you've got to lead verbally as well. It's actions and words. It's witness of life and witness of mouth. You've got to learn to fear God and not man, so you speak in a way that isn't trying to um, elicit a group of followers or get a bunch of people that will um, like you because what you say is politically correct, but you speak because you love God and you want to be theologically sound, not politically correct. You want to be a guy that speaks the truth in love and, and gentleness and kindness is on your tongue. You want to be an individual that, um, that, that knows that silence in the midst of sin is a sin. So one of the greatest problems that we've got is that when we see things going on in one another's lives, rather than loving each other enough to, to, um, to gently and humbly go and say, I'd like you to consider this. This is something... I want to remind you, I want to declare truth to you, I want to do it in a way that is humble, acknowledging that I'm going to need guys to sharpen me. Most guys would rather sin themselves, which is, in other words, to be silenced in the midst of uh, rebellion or in the midst of compromise, than to speak up against sin. One of the greatest reasons that most of our lives are lies of compromise and lack of excellence is because we isolate ourselves from one another or we surround ourselves with a group of friends that really don't love us. I, I love the statement there's really only two people in the world that can tell you the truth about yourself, and that's an enemy that's lost his temper, and nobody likes to hear the truth from them. And a friend that loves you dearly. Uh the scripture says in Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you don't have guys around you that love you enough to let the, the The strength of their life run up against the strength of yours you 're going to continue in your dysfunction, and uh, I need strong guys around me that can tell me and say, "Hey, this is the impression you 're giving off or this is the action you just did this isn 't even a perception. I love you enough Todd, to know that you want to be this man because i 'm very much in process. you know I love the statement by 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 Michelangelo when he was carving david um, you know, they looked at the beauty of the work that he had accomplished. It's now uh, on display in Florence out of this marble, this beautiful slab of, 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 of you know, precious stone. David was carved by Michelangelo, and they said, How in the world did you get David out of that just piece of marble? And, and Michelangelo said, All I did is I just, you know, took my little chisel, took my little hammer, and I took away what should not be. That marble is David. And one of the things I wanted to share with you guys is that we need to have a view and a vision for each other. That we're going to love each other um, just the way we are, but we're going to love each other enough to not let each other stay that way. And that means your iron's got to come up against mine, and my iron's got to come up against yours, and there's going to be some times that hunks of marble fall off our life so that God can chisel into us a thing of beauty. It starts with what the Word of God does that that's the first chisel What the Spirit of God does with that word but then God gives us one another Proverbs 27 5 and 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy better is open rebuke than love that is concealed most guys don't live that way I I I, I made a phone call to a gentleman last night that that, that was not the one he was looking to have but I thought if I love this guy I I have become aware of this not through innuendo rumor and gossip but through specific stuff that I've observed. And I can't in good conscience say I'm a friend of this man and I love this man unless I pick up the phone and say as humbly as I could this is something I'd like you to consider. This is some things I've learned personally. This is a story that I want you to read because I I want you to see the path that, that potentially you're on. And it wasn't the phone call that he really wanted to receive because he had kind of locked into, I think this is going to be an okay way to respond it, but just shared some truth and said, I, I know you love your boy. I know you love your family. It's up to you. You lead the way you want. But I can't call myself your friend if I didn't make this phone call. Now look, that, that, that may or may not um, play out well in the future for how I'm spoken about or how I'm perceived. I followed up with a sense of, of listen, I want to remind you again, my heart. And if a way I said something in any way made it difficult for you to hear, will you forgive me? Would you tell me that and deal with that? But I want to let you know my heart in coming to you is the way I want you to come to me in a situation like this. Men speak out. In fact, this is what it says um, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11 through 13. For thus says the Lord who spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, you are not to say what the people are saying, which in, in that case was that th- there's, a, there's a lie floating through the community, that there's a conspiracy that judgment was coming. Because that's what the people wanted to hear, that there was no judgment coming, the way you're living is fine, just keep living uh, in a way that, that culture accepts and you won't have a problem. But he says, in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, that there's a judgment coming, you speak differently. You are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Because it's the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy. He shall be your fear. He shall be your dread. God wants us to speak the truth to one another. He wants us to speak the truth in a way that we don't concern ourselves with being popular and building a massive group of followers. God wants us to learn to speak the truth um, with gentleness. He wants to do it in a way that makes knowledge as acceptable as we can. But there's certain things you're going to say that you just need to know going in. No matter how you say it, it's going to be rejected. And people are going to hide behind the, the force of that truth by saying that you as the messenger are the problem. And where you as the messenger of the problem, always deal with it. But at the end of the day, realize this. Sometimes it's just the message. You know, the scripture says the words of the wise make knowledge acceptable. But you need to know at certain points... No matter how wise you are in your deliverance, people might reject it. And God says, you fear me, not them. That's what men do. They speak up. They speak up for the weak. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. You know, everybody always talks about Proverbs being the classic book that talks about what a godly woman is. Proverbs 31, the first verses, talk about what a godly man is. And and, and, um, two of those verses say this. Open your mouth for the mute. In other words, for those who can't speak for themselves. In other words, those that are powerless, that don't have a voice, those that are in the womb, that can't speak, and those that are out of the womb, that are not given any sense of real audience. For the rights of the unfortunate, open your mouth, verse 9 says. You judge rightly, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. You know, bullying is never an issue when there are men around. Weak men bully other men. Great men Say, so you mess with him, you mess with me. And you want to then put me on their side and start to call me name and be disparaging against me? That's okay. Because great men speak up. Proverbs uh, 24 says this in verses 11 and 12. If you're not that kind of man, if you see people that are wandering, under the abusive, uh, wandering away under the abuse of, of bad leadership, or that are wandering away under the uh, foolishness of their own choices... God says, if you see that and you don't speak up, watch this. I'll hold you accountable. Deliver those who are being taken away to death. In other words, either physically, this is what happened in Nazi Germany. You know, um, uh, Niemöller said that um, they came for the you know Jew and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. They came for the Catholic and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Catholic. They came for the homosexual and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a homosexual. And he said, and then they came for me, and nobody spoke up for me because there was nobody left. I want to say what, there is going to be sometimes the forces of culture marching against others. And it's your job to get yourself in the way of that coming tyranny. Uh, uh, Martin Niemöller, who was a great leader in Germany, who did speak up and stepped up in a moment, along with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others, there was a young chaplain that had kind of sold himself to the way of Nazi control of the church. And uh, he was visiting people that were in prison. And he came along and he saw this giant of the faith, this man, Martin Niemöller, and said to him, Pastor Niemöller, what are you doing in prison? And Niemöller looked back at him and said, no, my son, let me ask you what you are doing out there. In other words, he was saying, I know why you're not where I am. Because you haven't spoken the truth like I did and stood up against the Nazi regime that was controlling weak pastors, that had sold themselves to comfort. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 says, Deliver those that are being taken away to death, and those who are staggering to slaughter, oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts, and will he not recompense a man, if you will, or render to men according to his work. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot at stake in being a man to whom much is given, much is expected. If you don't step up, you'll watch. The judgment comes against leaders first, and men are to be leaders in the culture. I'll talk about what kind of leaders here in a second. Not just men who lead for their own aggrandizement, but men who lead for the good of others, men who speak up. Um, You've got to speak up for the truth of the gospel, guys. Uh, Romans 1.16. That means you've got to learn the gospel. But it says that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I know... That it is the power of God for salvation to all men, to everyone who believes, to Jew and Gentile alike. Uh, the scripture says that you've got to live your life in such a way that other men in 1 Peter 3.15 will come alongside of you and say, would you explain to me why you pursue a life of holiness, why you love your wife the way that you do, why you use your resources the way you do, why you discipline yourself the way that you do? And it says in 1 Peter 3.15 that you should always be ready to make an offense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. You do it with gentleness and you do it with reverence, but the scripture says you learn to speak up when people ask why your life is the way that it is. You don't say I'm a good guy, Guy, you need to say, because of the work that Christ has done in me, speak out about error in society, against godless leadership, against corruption in the lives of others that you are in life with, and against the corruption that's in all of our souls and God's solution for it. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17, and really all the way down uh, through verse um, 19 the two work together as we end the one speak out which is the second thing and blend into the third which is to basically stand firm jeremiah 1 17 says this now you gird up your loins jeremiah you arise and speak to all of them which i am about to command you don't be dismayed before them god says or i will dismay you before them In other words, what God's saying is if you are um, dismayed before other people and you won't speak the truth and step up and lead them, then God says, I'll deal with you. I'll make you sorry. If you won't stand up for me because you won't stand up before other men, then I will dismay you because this is your calling. The third thing men are is that they stand strong. They stand firm in the midst of a world that will come against them when you speak the truth in love. And so let's continue in Jeremiah chapter 1 in verses 18 and 19. We're going to be men that don't give up when we're attacked or when we're criticized. We want to be individuals who, when we're challenged, stand firm. And I love what God says, just like he did to Moses, just like he did to others. He says, now behold, I have made you today, watch this, this is great, as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, as walls of bronze against the whole land. I want you to speak to the kings. I want you to speak to the princes. I want you to speak to the priests and to the people. And God says, don't you worry. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you because I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. When you go back, I made reference to this uh, early on. uh, My buddy Blake Holmes and I were talking about this. And whenever uh, God wanted to use a great man... Uh, they, they typically responded the exact same way which is just by basically saying, God, not me I can't be used, I said Moses, that was Gideon that was Hezekiah, that was um, all throughout the list I could go You know, Noah, there, there's just every great man almost in the Old Testament said to God, I can't go do it and God said, let me just tell you something uh, here's the deal, you need to go and just speak the truth and I will, I, I, there's three things God said to every man, he said, don't you be afraid I'll give you the words to speak and I will be with you to deliver you and that's exactly what he says right here to Jeremiah he said don't be afraid I'll give you the words to speak and I will be with you to deliver you now look folks some of the times the way you're gonna get delivered is by God vindicating who you are at death one of my, my favorite stories that that um, actually these men were so great in their culture that when King James um, decided to translate the Bible into English out of respect for Hugh Lattimore and Nicholas Ridley, he actually had um, them translate uh, a, a section in the scripture in Second Samuel, which said, uh, let us be courageous for our people. He took a quote by Hugh Lattimore and he said, every time it says, be courageous, you put in there, play the man. Why? Because on October 16th, 1655, uh, which was right in the middle of the reign of Mary Tudor, Queen of England whose nickname was Bloody Mary. She was called Bloody Mary because uh, in her perversion and understanding of uh, the right way to lead and oppress people in her association at the time with the Catholic Church, she uh, led some 300 leaders to death who did not submit to her interpretation of Scripture. Two of those men, one was the um, Bishop of London, that was Ridley, another one was B- B- Bishop of uh, or Worcester, uh, Hugh Lattimore and those two men because they said that 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 Christ is not continually sacrificed as a means of redemption because uh, you don't need to that that, that there's not a, a literal transubstantiation of the elements of communion into the literal blood and body of Christ that we don't need to imbibe that's not the means of our salvation we're not saved by our relationship with the church we're saved by faith through grace alone these men were were arrested and were led by armed dignitaries on the campus of Oxford uh, to a stake and they were going to be burned at the stake and the two men knelt and before they were burnt they had to sit and listen to some uh, fool preach to them that if they would just subscribe to air theologically that they could be spared and uh, then they said before you burn us they took their clothes and their valuables they said give this to the poor they were tied to the stake together and uh, the fire was weak on the side of Ridley and so he burned a much slower death and Lattimore right there towards the end of his life leaned over to his friend and his last words um, were this he says uh, be of good cheer and comfort Master Ridley and play the man for we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out and it was the start of others seeing that the gospel was something worth living for they stood firm right to the end And it did not look like God delivered them like he promised he would Jeremiah and Moses and Gideon and others. Sometimes, man, you need to know this. The way God delivers you is by uh, taking you from the grave. That's why it says what it says. And I want to make no illusion about what I'm asking you guys to do. That's why it says what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, when Paul's talking about being this man. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you in, or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Watch this in verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, In other words, if they put a sheet over your head and tell you to say that um, there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, and they're going to take a machete to your head unless you change your tune, you say, look, before you cut my head off, take my shirt. There's no reason to stain this shirt because you're going to be cold in the days ahead. And I want you to be warmed by it. And I'm not alarmed by the fact that you can behead me because I don't fear you. I don't fear the one that can destroy the body, but I fear the one who can destroy body and cast the soul into hell forever. Paul says, when you live this way, not alarmed even at the prospect of death at oppressive rulers, whether it's Nazi Germany or the 1600s in England, it says that it's a sign of destruction for them. You know something they don't know, but it's salvation for you. In other words, that you really do believe. What you say, you stand strong. First Corinthians chapter fifteen fifty eight says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Great men don't give in when they're challenged, attacked or criticized. And you need to know this. If you step up and you speak out, you will be criticized. You need to stand firm against the ways of the devil, too. God wants us to be noble leaders, right? That's why it says be on the alert in uh, first Peter Chapter 5, it says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so you need to stand strong against temptation. No temptation has overtaken you, 1 Corinthians says, but such is this common to man. And so don't make excuses for yourself that nobody else is tempted the way that you are. You've got to learn to stand firm against sin. To lock arms with other men that will help you stand strong in that way so that you can lead by example and say to others, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. You want to know the definition of a man? They step up, they speak out, they stand firm. And this is key. They stay humble. No matter how much we become the men that God wants us to be, uh, we're still in the process of being sanctified. Real men are vigilant against pride. They're um, not afraid to see the log in their own eye. Uh, a, a false understanding of humility is that you're kind of, whenever somebody says, hey man, you've encouraged me, you go, no, man, no, not me, no, thanks, no. But to look them in the eye and say, thank you very much. I'm glad that, that God has used his work in my life to bring encouragement to you. You, don't, you. don't. Being humble doesn't mean you deny the way you're used. A lot of times guys that deny things that they do that are great is because they want to hear you say it again. And so when I talk about staying humble, I'm not talking about um, thinking less of yourself than is really true. But the right definition of humility is that you think of yourself less. Not how can I protect my character, not how can I always look right, but just be an individual that just goes, look, I made a mistake here. Uh, There have been times in my life where I go, you know what, that wasn't the best right there. I need to ask your forgiveness. You were leading with me. And in that moment... You know, I mean, as much as I hate it and I think it was, I want to believe it was misinterpreted and blown out of proportion, it doesn't matter. There was something there and I need to own that. So, my greatest moments of leadership have been acknowledging my error in leading as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a coach, as a citizen. And I've got to have other guys around me that help me. The scripture says, You younger men, Especially, but all of you, you'll see in a second, likewise be subject to elders, but all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we want to be guys that just say what David said in Psalm 141, verse 5, a great little section of Scripture. It says, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it, for still my prayer is against their wicked deeds. In other words, God, help me never be so arrogant that when the righteous come and speak truth to me, that I use my position, my popularity, to intimidate them to never come to me again. David said no, that the smiting of the righteous is like oil upon my head. It refreshes me, it brings about an aroma of life where there has been death, and let me receive it. Great men are approachable men. Um, God says this. He says that uh, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do kindness, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord, Micah 6.8 says. Uh, John 15.5 reminds us, if there's anything good that comes from us, it comes because we're connected to Christ. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. Okay, If there's good in me, I can trace it to Jesus. Last thing. Godly men serve the king. In other words, they know they're not their own master, they're not looking to build their own following, they're not looking to build their own reputation. But they would say what Paul said, "It is enough if a man should regard me as a servant of Christ and a steward of the mystery of God." Uh, Jesus, when he was here, did not live uh, for himself, but we all know Mark 10:45, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many, because he was there to glorify the Father. We are here to glorify Christ and serve the King in everything that we do. We need to remember that God said you want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And great men live, if you will, for his glory. They live for a greater reward. They don't live for fleeting satisfaction or comfort. They believe that God is not so unjust, it says in Hebrews six ten, as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards the saints. So great men live with an eternal perspective. This world is not their home. Guys, I could go through this and spend more time in every single one of these, but just laying that little definition out for you this morning, I want to let you know. In every one of these, you want to know what a great man looks like. Jesus is the fullness of this example. He stepped up. He spoke out. He stood firm. He stayed humble. I love my favorite verses on Christ. It says that uh, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Though he committed no sin nor no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he was so humble, he reviled not in return. When he suffered, he did not utter threats. But he kept saying, in effect now, wisdom will vindicate itself by her deeds. There is a righteous judge. It's not you, and we'll see what he does with me. 1 Peter 2.23 ends by saying, he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. I'll be humble enough to let the world think I'm a fool who will mock me in my claim to be God's man. But in the end, I'm going to serve him. Christ served with humility and stayed humble, even though he was God, and he lived for a greater reward. And because he was that man, the scripture says, that God gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he wasn't just a man, but he in fact was God. That's why Paul says you work out your opportunity to be a man with fear and trembling because a lot is at stake. And if you're not the man that God wants you to be because you're dismayed that the world doesn't think being a man is popular, he says, then I will dismay you. So guys, I want to tell you, there's a world out there looking for somebody who will step up, who will speak out, who will stand strong, who will stay humble, and who will serve the king. The world needs men like that. And we can change the world if we draw a circle around this room and change everybody in it. All right? But Todd White needs to start right here. And I need men who will love me more towards that end. Father, thank you for these guys. And I just pray that this little uh, dip today into one look at what a man might be, one definition as we look at your word, that, um, that we would see, I would see, just how uh, far I fall short of uh, these things which I aspire to model for my young boys. And I thank you, Father, that you have stepped up to deal with all my inadequacy. And you continue to speak to me through your word. And you stand strong in your commitment to me that you who began the good work will bring it about to completion. That even your humility lets me grieve you and quench your spirit, but you don't leave me. And you do, Father, have an eternal perspective of me that you who have justified me are sanctifying me and will glorify me one day. Even in my own life, I see that you are being a godly picture of a king. I thank you for that, Christ. And I pray in my response of love to you that other men in this room will join me in seeking to imitate you. That we would step up, we'd speak out, we'd stand firm, we'd stay humble we would serve you, our King. We would love, Father, if uh, some shadowy image of you would become uh, more clear in us. And we will aspire to that and encourage each other when we see it happen until that day. When you will finish this work, by grace, we will pursue with your spirit. In Christ's name. Amen. Guys, I let you go at 745 we said we'd cut you out of here I just want to say this to you if you want to join in with some other men one of the things that we do is we have a little study here on Thursdays called The Summit we'd love to come alongside you as imperfect guys who will serve you charging after perfection resting only in the perfection of Christ and nothing that we do if we could serve you in that way we'd love it when you walk out grab one of those sheets take it home look at it correct it and make it better God bless you go be a man